Testing. Testing. You're good. Here we are, folks. We're back. Theology on Mission Podcast 2016. And oh, I, yeah. I give you... Jeff Holsclaw. Greg Holsclaw. <laughs> you did it again. Called me by the wrong name. That's actually his brother, ladies and gentlemen. and uh, he twin is brother. A, he is an identical twin. I actually am a twin. But my brother does not look at all like me, act at all like me, or is it all like me. My mom's convinced that the only reason we get along is because we're both twins. <laughs> Who says we get along? Anyways, it's good to be back here in the Griffith Conference room in the library of Northern Seminary. And today it's zero degrees, zero, snowing in beautiful Chicago. You're such a wimp, you had to get a coat on to go from the academic center over to the library. I did not wear a coat. What's I'm wrong with you? I'm still wearing my scarf. What do you have to say for yourself, Mr. California? <laughs> I'm skinny and I'm cold. <laughs> I hate being cold. Okay, before we get started, just a quick riff on the fact that... Uh, it's a new year. We have new microphones. We have a new sound. And we have yeah. a new program here. Not a new program. Um, oh, oh, not a new podcast program. But we do have a new program. It's not yes. a new program. It's the old D-Min, Doctor of Ministry in Missional Leadership. We changed uh, to uh, a new name, Doctor of Ministry Contextual Theology. The reason why, simply put, missional, the word, had become somewhat dispersed in meaning, hard to pin down, and we wanted a word that actually meant something. In contextual theology, we felt uh, kind of took what our, we do in our missional program, which is teach people how to read context and, and be present, uh, lead their church to be present in a context and proclaim the gospel in the context all for the sake of mission. And so uh, the new title of the program is D-Men Contextual Theology, Training Leaders to Lead Their Churches into Mission. What do you think? Oh, I think it's, it's excellent. Good. Yeah. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. And so what are we talking about today, Dr. Fitch? All right, today, uh, this happened on my Facebook uh, page, I don't know, maybe two, but before Christmas, before we left for Christmas. And uh, I put out the question, is the local church a group of individuals united around a belief statement, or is it a way of life grounded in a set of practices which gathers people under the Lordship of Christ? So... We got a belief statement, a creedal statement, or a set of practices. And for me, I think this is a really important question. You know, one of the things I teach here at, at uh, Northern Seminary, one of the things that I think is really important to understand is ecclesiology and how we shape churches, gather people together into the mission of God for a witness to the gospel. And so what do you think on that, Jeff? We got, we got, you know, I think about the way we plant churches. I think about the way we organize churches in the United States of America and Canada. And I think at least for the United States uh, of America, I think most of our churches historically, let's, let's put an ad, another adjective on that. Evangelical churches uh, 
are organized around belief statements. And then you add on mission statements and value statements, all of which are conceptual uh, statements that an individual can assent to and be led by a singular leader into. And I'm arguing that in that certain conditions have changed in our culture, which make that the wrong way to start, build, organize, uh, gather a church body. So the question is, is, do we gather around the things we know and believe or the things we do? So really, you're advocating for us all to become Pharisees and engage in works righteousness in order to be missional communities. No, I'm just kidding. So, but you're... He you, has these kind of uh, outbursts that sound yeah, like outbursts. Luther I, every once in a while. So, so is it, are we <laughs> gathering around the things we believe or the things that we do? Did you get that joke? I, yeah, I got it. I, Luther, Luther. Didn't laugh. Okay. That's ha, okay. Ha. Wasn't that good? So, uh, the gathering around those two different things, are you asking this merely as an apologetic strategy or are you asking this more as like the biblical way of doing church or something else? Hmm. Well, I think, okay, one way to think about this is historically you could say the church has always had belief statements and the church has always had a practice. Uh, but maybe the question is now which comes first and in Christendom, and let's even call it modernity, where you have <clears throat> kind of a unified language. Everybody's speaking the same language. Everybody is, uh, to use Descartes' word, a cogito, a independent thinker who is able to understand a statement and make a decision. Um, <clears throat> That is, uh, those, those set of conditions are very much modern in Christendom. When you go into post-modernity and post-Christendom, language is dispersed. It's not at all clear that people understand what we mean by the words Jesus is Lord, what we mean by the word sin, what we mean by the word atonement or salvation. And so we can no longer assume that everybody understands the words, and it is in actuality through engaging, let's say, in the practice of reconciliation, one with another, with our neighbors down the street, with bringing people together in, uh, that are having, uh, that are in broken relationship, violence one towards another, and calling them into reconciliation. We are not actually, we are not only assenting that we believe God in Christ has forgiven us, but that forgiveness is a practice, something we do as an extension of who we are in Christ in the world. And so by doing it, we understand it. And today, I think more than ever, when you turn forgiveness into an abstract concept that you assent to, it loses its power. It loses its reality, what might be a better way that what God has done in Christ is something that changes our lives and changes our world. I think returning to the practice of reconciliation, forgiveness, love, unifying uh, people together in one faith and one Lord and one gospel, one baptism, that is what, where we really learn and are changed by the gospel of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So you said something that I think is really important. Doing leads to understanding. A lot of times we think that the reverse is the case, 
that understanding will lead to doing. But I think the history of at least modern Christianity shows that that's patently not the case. What we know doesn't always affect how we act. Of course, this is all of our podcasts on ideology and other such things. So you're talking about somewhat of a, uh, an apologetic strategy in modernity. People could plant churches, paste their belief statements. Oh, we believe these things. Unlike those people who don't believe them anymore. We believe in the resurrection. Those people don't believe in the resurrection. We believe in, you know, whatever, right? The atonement or substitute. Right. We believe we in the know. gospel. We believe in the gospel. Come to our church because we preach the gospel or something. But, but you're saying, well, that doesn't work anymore. Nobody, nobody gathers well, around or it, not as many people. Well, Okay, so we all know a church in the Chicago area who has a seven-day creation as part of the creedal, uh, their, their belief statement. And we all know that they somewhat make that known. And we all know that that attracts a certain kind of person to not, not I'm not even making a statement right now about seven-day creation. Here, that's Scott McKnight. I'm not saying nay or yay on that. But the point is, there is... That, that, that when you define this is who we are and this is what we believe, you're going to attract everybody who believes in seven-day creation, who's left on the planet Earth to your church to form a very uh, cohesive, I might say, fundamentalist-driven church. We believe this and you don't. And what happens? You're extracting people out of mission and you are actually putting people over against other people and creating division, antagonism, even ideological forces at work in that kind of shaping of a church. And all I want to say is that's not shaping a church in mission. You can do that endlessly. You can say, hey, we're the church that's evangelical and affirming of lesbian, gay, bi, trans relationships. Hey, everybody who's there is going to come to your church, but you've just now gathered people around an attractional creedal statement over against other people, and you're not shaping people to be engaged in mission so if you're planning a church based on ideas then you might be forcing people into an ideology see what i did there Brilliant. but i know i know of a church that a, a large church that was planning like a satellite church and their their whole strategy this is in indiana their whole strategy was to show up in in the neighborhood in the area and then proclaim to everyone we're the only church that preaches the gospel Th that was their that was their yes. strategy we are yes. the only church that believes preach the word the right things that we're the only church that preaches the word of God. And whenever you, you hear, hear the word of God sentence by sentence, word for word preaching at this church right out of the scripture. And so this is kind of the age old uh, controversy between orthodoxy, as some people will call it, and orthopraxy. A lot of the liberation theologians criticized Western Christendom for having uh, mere orthodoxy right. and not having any orthopraxy, the right practice of which the gospel should right. so, compel us. So if you look down through history, uh, what defined the church after Christendom? You had the, uh, the four uh, creedal markings, uh, apostolic, Catholic, the one holy Catholic apostolic church in the Nicene Creed, for instance. And these were descriptors, um, and they were defined creedally. We believe then you had, you know, after the Reformation happened, you had these various marks. But when we get to the Anabaptists, there's a focus more on what we do, at least some branches of the Anabaptist movement. What we are committed to is the practice of reconciliation or the bans. What we are committed to is regular fellowship. What we are committed to is table fellowship. And so I want to argue that when we no longer see ourselves as a dominant culture where we're just trying to gather people and get things right and either get things 
So either believe these things or come in and we'll teach you how to believe these things and believe them better. When we move from that kind of idea of the church to now we're in mission, we have to move to a practice-based church. And I'll give you an example of why this is so important. Let's take the whole alternative sexuality problems of our day. In modernity, Christendom, okay, we have a problem. We need a policy statement. We need some kind of creedal belief. We believe this is right or this is wrong. And we need to put this on our on the sign or on the internet on our website or whatever it might be our front opening door that's that's the creedal way to do things but what about this what about our practice of reconciliation a practice of presence which comes from the lord's table and out of that we start to ask ourselves questions we start to listen to one another we eat around our tables together and then we say, well, I've got a problem when you do this or when you, let's say you teach my children Sunday school or when you say sexuality is about this. Because when I experienced that, this is what happened in my life. And we start opening up these conversations of reconciliation. And all of a sudden, we are now getting to the depths of what we believe and why. And we're sorting it out on the ground. And people are able to work out their lives. And then the gospel can be proclaimed into each other's lives. And we can be with one another and minister socioeconomically and all the other things that are impacting our lives around the area of sexuality. And so that raises a church from the ground up. And then when we're all done, like working all that stuff out, well, why do you, why do you people do this when it comes to uh, this particular sector? Why, why, like, for instance... The church became monogamous in various mission situations. Why is it that you you only allow men and women to be married in, in, in monogamy? Uh, we, we, we used to do polygamy around here all the time. What happened? Then we can explain to them what happened, what's at the core of that, how God worked in our lives, transformed our lives uh, to understand mutuality as the ground of marriage and sexuality, etc., etc. So anyways, big difference between creedal, we're going to decide, I'm the expert, I'm going to decide what's the right position and everyone has to agree to a set of practices where we work this out one to another. By the way, still using scripture, still using the teaching gifts, still using all the gifts, the pastoral gifts to sort out our lives one with another. What do you think? Are you buying this riff? What, you know what this reminds me of? This sounds a lot like an AA meeting or the AA process, the steps of recovery. So a lot of times, you know, I've heard people in recovery say, you know, I wish the church was as honest, as intimate, as real as my recovery group and how that has always felt like church for people in recovery groups. And then they come to, to a congregation or a worship service and they're like, everyone here is fake, blah, blah, blah. We've all heard these kind of criticisms, but this is actually sounds like what my friends in the program call working the steps It's working. The steps is just doing the different activities of confessing your sin, of seeking reconciliation, of making amends, you know, so they have a different way of talking. Uh, but it's, it's a lot of these similar things of reconciliation. Yeah. And so it's really, are, are you working the steps of following Christ or are you just kind of checking off marks of uh, things you believe about Christ? Yes. And so this is what it sounds to me is, is maybe we would have a lot more honest, authentic, and maybe even loving congregations if we'd focus on the practices rather than, focusing on the ideas 
Right, and uh, this does not discount the importance of having clear uh, statements of belief, but we do them out of our practice. This is why we do what we do. You know, uh, Wayne Meeks uh, wrote that book, uh, First Urban Christians, what, 30 years ago? And uh, one of the things that he uncovered is how the way the New Testament church talked about what they believed was directly impacted and shaped by the way that what they did together and how they practiced life together that it was an embodied belief and i think that this is so important for witness in the world today you know so here and you and i both know keith keesler down there in miami he he has mm-hmm. a set of rhythm practice. church miami yeah he has a set of practices that he founded that church on we know story up in sarnia ontario i think they have they have paintings that they painted for mm. each pro- well maybe i'm wrong on that but they had a set of practices i remember them being on the wall there mm-hmm. um i just think i think what we need to do and i believe as you know because i just finished writing this book called faithful presence coming out i think in november uh seven practices that shape the church into mission we need to focus on what we do and submitting to the presence of christ in each one of these practices and that's what makes them so powerful so earth-shaking so kingdom breaking in is that the presence of christ is in each one of these practices so in summary in summary i think everybody's got everybody that's planning a church or leading a church can start with what we believe what our values are what our mission is as put forth by an expert and then gather people around that to be singular around that or we can begin with the practices of the church of Jesus Christ given to us by Jesus that ground us in who he is, center us in his lordship and his presence and help us work out all the issues and invite the whole world in to join in with us in the kingdom of God. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the way that the people who are new to Christ or come back to the church um, experience things here at Life on the Vine is that they're drawn in by the life of the community. They're drawn in by the way we love each other. And then they get involved and they ask, well, why do you do these things? And then we can explain to them. And I think that's how uh, children learn. Children learn through uh, example. And so, sure, you can teach them all the right things to believe, but it, they're going to follow the way you live as parents, as adults, you know, influencing children. And really, you know, and you can, we can do this whole Christendom critique and, and how maybe it functioned uh, according to ideas in modernity and post-modernity needs a different way. But this is the way Jesus led is it was continually come follow me. And then he gave people enough information to keep moving forward. He would send them out on mission with hardly any training. And then he would just process it with them. How did it go? What happened? What do you need to learn? You know? And so the disciples go out and they were able to cast out demons, but then they come back and everyone's stoked, but then they couldn't cast out another demon. And then Jesus has to intervene and be like, well, this is different. You need to engage in prayer and things like this. And so there's a learning along the way. A lot of times uh, we think that we need to know more so that we can engage in mission, but really, the way Jesus worked with his disciples and much of the church is you engage in mission and then you learn more as you go. Right. The interesting thing about that is the whole discipleship uh, conversation shifts dramatically to the community as opposed to individual one-on-one discipleship or even one-on-five or ten. It it focuses on a community of ten, twelve people engaging in the practices of Christ uh, daily, weekly, 
on Sunday in the gathering. So two things before we uh, skip off of this discussion is, one, is it really ups the ante for your leadership and for discipleship, like you said, because there's no place to hide. Like you can hide behind your ideas and then uh, cover over your deficiencies as a person or as a church. And, uh, you know, but we really believe this, the right thing, but if you're all about the practices, then you need to be doing the practices. There's no hiding. Yeah. Uh, and so this is what we're committed to. This is who we are. This is why we come on Sunday gathering to practice. And then everybody knows whether you're doing it or not. Yeah. You know, uh, and then the other thing too is, which I want us to, to ask is, well, what is the danger of focusing on the practices? What is the what is the danger? Is, can we overemphasize those? Can we just go through the motions? Can we become a works-oriented people disconnected from God? What do, those are just two that came well, to mind. What do you feel might be some of the the dangers that people could overemphasize yeah. and lose something? Well, very, very simply, okay. Each of these practices, and I'm talking about like the Eucharist and the uh, reconciliation practice and the proclaiming the gospel. By the way, every one of these practices, Jesus promises to be present in them. But the danger is to take control of them and use them to uh, manipulate and accomplish your purposes your being the leader's purposes or the the experts, all of a sudden it takes the power out of submission to Christ and becomes my uh, uh, accomplishment for my purposes. So classically, when when the Catholics, when the when they're accused by uh, some of the Protestants of doing indulgences, you took the Mass and the presence of Christ, and and you started to control the Eucharist, and you allowed people to pay for uh, confession, penance, blah 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 blah. You used it for your purposes. Likewise, we can use we can even use the the reconciliation practice, like a guy in Seattle who's no longer there when he was forcing people into reconciliation practices based on his terms. No, we come together mutually submitting to these practices. So I always like to say the leader, the person perceived in power always goes first, always leads through submission to Christ first. When we're around the table, we are not leading, you know, we are not over the people. We are leading the the people to the table together as one community likewise in reconciliation proclaiming the gospel we're present and we're proclaiming to us the gospel jesus christ when we preach on sunday morning so all these practices we have to be careful not to try to control them as soon as we try to control them for our own ends jesus presence is no longer there i think that's the point of luke chapter 10 when they come back and say lord we saw we saw people healed we saw demons cast out this is the most incredible thing we've ever seen. And Jesus says, I saw Satan um, fall like lightning. And, but Jesus says, but don't get too excited about that. Uh, rather, uh, thank the Lord that your name is written in the book of life in heaven or something like that. I can't remember the exact thing. What he was saying was, this is not yours. Praise God that you're participating in his power, not your own power. Amen. And I think that's the last point that we'd want to emphasize is just like we're not human thinkings and we're not human doings we're human beings made for relationship and ultimately these practices should be driving us to relationship with one another but ultimately with god and if it ends up being anything else then we've destroyed them just like ideas ideas aren't bad the word became flesh after all the word is important to god but devoid of relationship 
you just lose everything and it yeah. becomes just works righteousness like I was joking about before but that's a danger is that we just end up going through the motions and doing these things and calling it yeah sooner or later practices. God's got to become real his reality has got to break into your life he's got to be more than an add-on belief that you put in there somewhere after like I don't know sixth grade or something onto a whole bunch of other beliefs you had no he's got to become the all-encompassing reality of God in your life from which all things flow and that hap- that's that's a based in the practices of coming into his presence from which even all the things we believe become clearer and better understood. Well, thank you everyone for starting off the new year. Hey, what about a book? Us? Have you got a book oh, recommendation a book? for 2016? I do, but I didn't prep this with you beforehand, so I wasn't well, sure if I was going to hang you go first. Through. Well, I've been reading this. It's actually not a new book. It's a new book to me. I just read it. It's called The Elusive Presence by Samuel Terrian. And it's an old book. It's kind of like he was a professor at Union Seminary. It's kind of of the Protestant liberal tradition a little bit, but he really emphasizes through the Old New Testament primarily and a little bit in the New Testament how the uniting theme of all the scriptures is God's presence and how does God make himself present and how is God's presence elusive? How does it come and go? How does it arrive? How is it there but unseen? And so he traces this theme all throughout uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Israel and David and, and the temple and Jesus and the church, all about looking at how is God's presence manifest in those different ways. It's really, uh, it, it's a very academic read, but it's, it's pretty fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I finished up Paul and His Interpreters by N.T. Wright. Did I already mention this last podcast? Uh, I don't know. You have mentioned it, but what stood out to you now that you finished it? Uh, I just thought, uh, you know, for someone who's uh, read on and off New Testament theology for 30 years, I hate to admit that I'm that old, but uh, I just thought he summarized all the main categories, and it's so powerful, so powerful to see how they all feed off one another and the themes that have become so important uh, and Pauline and the understanding of the Pauline epistles. Can I just say that you need to understand this? Most of us were raised in one very thin tradition. And once we get outside that tradition, we see the marvelous hugeness of the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. And uh, it just opens up the whole world of proclaiming the gospel in whole new ways. And N.T. Wright generally has that effect on me. I don't know about you, but I just recommend this book for those who are looking for a primer. Uh, something to catch up on all the latest in uh, the developments of New Testament theology. This will do it, and it'll be a, it's a great book. It's well worth the price. Probably one of his best books in terms of being able to read the whole thing because most of his books are Paul and the Faithfulness of God. It was so huge. I mean, who can get through that? I recommend this one instead. I've about a third of the way through, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, thank you, everyone, for starting off the new year here with Theology on Mission coming to you from Northern Seminary. There's new things here. I got my new uh, MacBook. We got new microphones. We got a newly named program. We would love for you to be new subscribers. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, download some app and uh, get us coming to you every time there's a new episode. And we would really value some new reviews to help get the word out about uh, what you think about theology on mission. So from a cold, snowy day, a beautiful, cold, snowy day. In Chicago, Chicago. Northern off. Seminary, Griffith Conference Center, uh, sorry, Conference Room. This is Jeff Holsklaw. Dave Fitch. See, See you, you next time. Later.